Good morning. You got the wireless on there? Okay. First Timothy chapter 1 this morning. Finally got some of that white stuff that this state is notorious for. First Timothy chapter 1. All right, pick it up there, 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 10. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank for Jesus Christ. And Father, we do thank you, Lord, for bringing us out uh, safely. And Father, I do pray that you would be with those that are traveling. And Father, those who might have chosen to stay home, would you bless them as well, Father, as they pick it up online. And Father, I pray that you just uh, keep uh, those on the road traveling safe. And Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for a warm building to meet in, Lord, in the place that we can call home, uh, church home. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll pick it up in verse 10. The Bible says, uh, talking about for who the law was written uh, to and for, for whoremongers, for them that devile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And, of course, we showed you when we were together on Wednesday the connection, the connection between the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and sound doctrine. And this is uh, what I want to pick up on uh, uh, one final time and move forward with it. And uh, here's the thing. If you take your Bible, go back to Titus chapter 2. When you connect the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ with sound doctrine... You know what it does? It causes you to live right. It causes you to live right. Something that uh, is clerical, sound doctrine is often clerical. Sound doctrine is often more uh, meticulous in nature in that it's study uh, line upon line, here a little, there a little. But when you connect the two together, the glorious gospel, Jesus Christ, and sound doctrine, it causes you to live right personally in your daily walk with Jesus Christ. Look at... Titus chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> and, and what we're getting at here is if you do not have sound doctrine, you will not live right. If you're off on your doctrine, you will not live right. All right? Now, Titus chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober. And I want you to see here, there's six things here. Six things that the, the, the Apostle Paul gives the aged men, all right? He, uh, he says to be sober. There's number one, to be grave, temperate. There's three, sound in faith, in charity, and patient. That's six things. Uh, now, notice here, now he gives instructions, uh, practical instructions to the aged women. Uh, and he gives them four things, four things. That the aged women likewise, that they be in behaviors becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to, to much wine, teachers of good things. There's four additional things, and actually he says likewise, so you pick up the six uh, from the aged men and you add the four to it, so there's a total of ten. Now look at beginning in verse four. 
There are uh, eight things here. And the reason I'm breaking it down for you, I want you to understand something. In your personal Christian life, sound doctrine is critical for you to live right. And what uh, a lot of Bible believers have done is they've taken the women and they've put them in a prison. They have. But I want you to notice that there's, there's personal instructions, all right, to the, to the young women here. Look at verse 4, that they may teach the young women, talking about the aged women here, the young women to be sober, there's one, to love their husbands, number two, to love their children, number three, to be discreet, number four, chase, number five, keepers at home, number six, good, number seven, obedient to their own husbands, number eight, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now go back to that verse. I'm going I'm to show you a point here in a second. Now look here at uh, verse four. We good? What's up? Oh, yeah. Give me my medicine here. <laughs> now notice this here in verse four, sober. That's serious. All right, so let's talk about the young women just for a second here. And um, I'm, I've got your back. I'm, I'm on your side here. If you're a young woman here, a woman here you're a young gal, sober, that's uh, serious, not, not silly, right? All right. Uh, it says to love their husbands. That's love your husband, not, some, not someone else's husband. That's pretty simple, right? Love your husband, not divorce him. Okay, now you know what you notice here in verse 4? Love's a choice. Love is a choice. It is. And uh, say, well, I just, I fell out of love. Well, you might have. Love's a choice. I know after 26 years, love's a choice. I wake up every morning, I choose whether or not to love my wife or to be critical about her or to be uh, the knight in shining armor that she needs or to be a jerk. It's a choice, and that's supposed to be taught by the, the, the age woman. Here, notice this here. It uh, says to love their children. That's something that has to be taught. Uh, love their children, not abort them, right? That's fair enough. That's practical. You don't have to get political. It's just practical stuff from the Word of God. And, and if, see, if you have sound doctrine, you, you understand that. Uh, not abort them or kill them or drown them in a bathtub, right, like that whacked out gal in Texas did, what is it, about 20-some years ago? All right, look at verse 5, to be discreet. What is that? Well, the opposite of discreet is rash, impulsive. A young gal should be discreet, not foolish, not careless. Uh, Chase, verse 5, what's the opposite of chase? Well, obscene, you need to be chase, gals, not obscene, uh, not flirtatious, Right? Not dirty in talk, not dirty in walk. Now here it is, number six. Keepers at home. Uh, what does that mean? It means you keep your home. If you have a home, you keep it. You're the one. You're the one that's taking care of it. Not keeping somebody else's home. Uh, not letting your home go. Now you see what I just did. I took that thing. I didn't take it out of the passage. I just taught you through the passage. You know what a lot of people say? A woman can't work outside the home. That's what they say. Well, let me tell you what. If you get to that place where you don't have to, praise the Lord. Stay home. <laughs> but if you can't, let me tell you what, it'd be foolish for me to try to tell everyone, well, you sh- it's your job to, well, you know, to stay home and have babies. Oh, I get what the Bible says, that the young women uh, bear children and guide the home. 
but you know what you do? You take that thing. That's number six out of eight. Now, if Paul would have put that the first thing, number one, the first thing of his importance is to be sober in verse four. It's number six out of eight. You see what I just did there? Uh, Bible believers are reactionary. And because they're reactionary, they got this idea that you need to go back into the 1940s and 50s and all you gals need to put on a Lindsay wool dress and meet your husband at the door with a checkered apron on, you know, and take off his slippers or take off his shoes and put slippers on and rub his feet and light his pipe. <laughs> Hope you're not smoking a pipe. Anyways, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You say, what is that? I don't know what that stuff is. It's reactionary. For me to get up and tell you if you're a gal that you should uh, stay home and not get a job, that'd be stupid. 2023, for the, most, for the most part, it's going to take you both to make it. Uh, since 1997, when I got married, it takes both of us to make it. You say, well, yeah, you just so live within your means. You shut up and try to raise five kids, you jerk. <laughs> you try to take five kids and bring them into this world uh, like their mother did, and you go ahead and try to pay all the bills, and you try to make all the ends meet, and all life's crisis. Good luck. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just showing you, don't be a reactionary Christian. Don't take your theology from your favorite preacher and go, oh, there you go, my wife needs to stay home and she can't have a job. What if she needs to have a job? Can I tell you this? You know what my wife does for me? My wife works so I can preach. I don't know what you think about that, but that's a sacrifice. I'm telling you right now, my wife works her cotton-picking tail off so I can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if she didn't work, we couldn't, I couldn't preach. And I'm thankful for it. But I wanted to show you that because that's sound doctrine, and that's in a list of eight different things. And if you want to learn in the Christian life, you need to learn to not be reactionary with that stuff. You need to see where the Lord puts it, and he puts it in number six. So look, if you get an opportunity to stay home and your husband's a millionaire, praise the Lord. <laughs> Almost take about a million bucks for you to stay home anymore. And if you're smart with your money, maybe smarter most, praise the Lord. I'm not against you. I'm for you. Really, I am your friend. <laughs> but everyone can't do it. So don't, don't put yourself in this box thinking that you have to live up to, uh, you know, the, uh, the standard of Little House on the Prairie. Man, that's 1900 stuff. Now listen, if you're the only reason you're working is so you can get more possessions and get a bigger cabin and get a bigger toy, okay, well then you might need to reevaluate why you're working, right? Came to a place in time, I was working for the ice cream company and I drove around this big truck that I kind of wish I'd have held on to now. But the only reason my wife was working at that point is to, to make a payment for a vehicle. And I got to thinking, I didn't really need to have that vehicle. So, sold the vehicle. And she got to come home for a while and help uh, raise the young'uns. You see what I mean? And then she went back to work. Why? We needed the income. But if you're not in a position to... Don't take that phrase, ladies, in the Bible, keepers at home, and means you've got to be locked inside of a house 24-7. You'll go slap crazy. Some of you weren't designed to be inside that home 24-7. I'm telling you right now. And you've got to wash that thing. All right, <clears throat> so good, obedience to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Look at the young men. Sound doctrine, help you live right. Likewise, exhort to be what? Sober-minded, serious. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. 
every young man that proclaims the name of Jesus Christ ought to have a pattern of good works. As in, you can count on it. This is what I do to serve the Lord. It's a pattern, 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 pattern. It's a routine. It's routine. I mean, uh, other people ought to know your pattern of good works. Now, look at this. He says, in doctrine showing uncorruptness. You need to study that book. You need to study that book. And some of you getting started later in life, in your Christian life, you've got, you've got some ground to make up. Amen? You better get in the book. Um, when I got married, uh, my father-in-law told me, he says, uh, he says, I raised my daughter to do this, 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 and this. And, you know, I didn't really pay too much attention to what he said. I just wanted to marry his daughter, Right? But he says, if you don't learn that book better than she does, uh, she'll probably probably be difficult for you to to live with. And so what are you saying? I knew that I had to get in that book and I I had to get a hold of it. Why? Had some ground to make up. You know, I was 20 years old. I'd never read my Bible through one time. And uh, you say, what would you do? I put it in overdrive. (laughs) And I start going through it one, two, three, four times a year. You say you still do that? No, not all the time now. Sometimes it's just a struggle to get through it once. But man, when I was in my 20s, I'd take that thing three and four times a year. Sit down and read that thing for an hour and get through it four or five or six times a year. Why? I knew I was uh, behind the eight ball if I could say it like that. And men, if you're going to lead your home, you better know your Bible better than your wife does. I'm just throwing that out there. If you don't know that book better than she does, you're going to have trouble. And then doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity. That's, that's uh, seriousness, sincerity. Look at verse 8. Sound speech that cannot be uttered. Now notice this is all connected to Titus chapter 2, verse 1, talking about speak the things which become what? Sound doctrine. And we've been hammering this thing for two and a half weeks here. So when you match the glorious gospel together with sound doctrine, it will teach you how to live right. And I want you to think about it for a second. That's why many Christians around these parts, they don't live right. Why? They don't have sound doctrine. I didn't say they're not saved. I didn't say they're not good people. I didn't say they didn't love the Lord. See, don't, don't project insecurities upon me. Look, there's a lot of people in this county that love the Lord. There's a lot of people in this county that are Christians, that are saved. But guess what? They don't have sound doctrine. They don't have the right estimation of that book. And because of that lack of sound doctrine, they cannot live right. So that book is what enables you to live right, sound doctrine, all right? And if see, if you don't have sound doctrine, you know what you end up doing? You end up doing what we just talked about. You end up reacting. You take some Christian's life that was in the toilet, and you go, oh, that's bad, right? And you go, I'm not going to do that. But since you don't have a hold of sound doctrine, you don't have the right estimation of the Bible, then you overreact and you overcorrect just as bad the other way. And then you try to put someone else into bondage because they're not doing it like you're doing it. Well, how about we just do it the way the Bible says to do it? Isn't that the right way? Well, what if someone is more conservative in their standards? Good for them. Maybe they need it. Don't put that thing on me. Nothing the Bible won't talk nothing about it. <laughs> right? You want to have personal standards? I'm all for you. All right? But don't walk around here and try to project your personal standards on me. All right? We go by the Bible. All right. <clears throat> so you got to be careful. Sound doctrine will, will eliminate you shooting from the hip in your Christian life. 
And then also sound doctrine will eliminate this whole idea of a libertine philosophy. And see, when you preach this stuff, this is what I'll get accused of. I'll get accused of being a libertine. And I'll get accused of saying, well, you can just do whatever you want. If you watch me, be careful how you do it. But if you watch me, I don't believe that at all. I don't believe you should just do whatever you want. I believe you should do what the Bible says you should do. But when it comes to the area of personal standards, you need to get those from the Lord. All right? And uh, some people don't know what's right, and then they shoot from the hip. And, you know, you, can I give you the other reason why some Christians don't know how to live right? Can I just be honest with you? Because their preachers are stupid. Okay to say that? Sunday school, there's only a handful here. Preachers are stupid. <laughs> you got a stupid preacher, he ain't going to teach you how to, he ain't going to teach you sound doctrine. You know what he's going to teach you how to do? He's going to teach you how to keep the money coming in the plate. Because <laughs> that's what he's worried about. Now I'll look at verse 11, 1 Timothy 1.11. We've got to get off this thing. But man, we could preach about sound doctrine until the millennium runs through here. 1 Timothy 1.11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed to my trust. And now notice what Paul's going to do. And here's where we left off. Paul's going to be thankful for some things here. And he's going to explain to us what it is. Look at verse 12. And before we cut off Wednesday night, I said this. I challenge you to find three things to be thankful for. Three things to be thankful for. Maybe I'll tell Bob and Preacher there. First Timothy 1.12, and I thank Jesus, I'm sorry, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So I just wrote down uh, three things that uh, I'm thankful for. And first of all, of course, is my salvation. And the second thing that came to my mind, because it's, uh, it's important to me, is my family, my blood family, and uh, my wife and my children. And the third thing is my church family. So those things are heavy on my mind all the time. And... Uh, I don't know what you're thankful for this morning, but Paul's always thankful about something. He says here in verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And uh, now watch how thankful Paul is. First of all, notice this. He says, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord, who, number one, enabled me. Number one, Enabled me. So the Lord, Jesus Christ, enabled Paul to do something. And that just simply means he helped him. He helped him. Uh, He helped Paul to do something. He strengthened Paul to be able to do something. The Lord waited until Paul was ready to do something. He built Paul up so that he could do something. There's the first one. Look at number two. He says, who hath enabled me, that's number one, for that he counted me faithful. So not only did God enable Paul to do something, but number two, he counted him faithful with the glorious gospel. That's a great charge to have said about you. Um, I often wonder when I get home to glory if the Lord will be able to say that about me, if I was faithful. You know, the, you know that's all you're required in the Christian life. The Lord just... If it was at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, uh, it says we're required of stewards that a man be found faithful. 
I grabbed the stool. I apologize. But you're not required to be successful. Amen? That's a blessing. You're not required to be successful. <coughs> hey, bad. I went 20, 23 minutes standing. <laughs> but uh, he says, Who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful. That's a great charge to have said about you, to be faithful to preach the gospel. Now look at number three. Here's a third one thing that Paul's thankful for. Who hath enabled me, number one, that he counted me faithful. Number two, putting me into the ministry. That's number three. Now remember we first started teaching, uh, going through First Timothy, we said that it probably took Timothy about ten years to get put into the ministry. Remember that? We covered that in the introductory material. Of course, we try to we gather that or ascertain that from the time, the dates that are given in the uh, chronology where uh, Timothy is a pastor at Ephesus, for worse, where he picks up with Paul in uh, the book of Acts. And so now that's a great passage uh, here in uh, verse, uh, what is it, 12? Verse 12, because you know why? Nobody else can put you into the ministry. You need to grab a hold of that. Mama can't do it. Mama, she's a good saint. She's a good soul. And Mama's got a lot of wisdom if you listen to her, amen? Daddy's got a lot of wisdom too, and Grandma and Grandpa. There ain't nothing like Grandma and Grandpa, you know what I mean? There ain't nothing like Grandma and Grandpa, but they can't put you into the ministry. Aunts and uncles are a real blessing and encouragement, and it's always good to see them, and then they squeeze your cheek and all that stuff. But, uh, But it took 10 years for Timothy to get into the place that God wanted him to be. I'm saying that because it takes time to get put into the ministry. And once you're in it, how about this? Once God puts you in it, nobody can take you out. You see what I'm saying? Now, I like that. Now, you stop and think, I'll take my life as an example. I got saved in 1983. 1983. And uh, I later went on in 1993. I went to a Christian college down in Florida, and I was going to become a one-bullet Barney. I had my mind made up I was going to be law enforcement. I'm going to be, you know, Barney Fife. Um, and I was planning on coming back here and, and being a deputy sheriff, blah, 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 and so forth. And then I got down there in Escambia County, and I thought maybe I'd just stay down there. It was so nice and warm, you know, in the winters. None of this white powdery stuff on the road there. But at any rate, uh, I went to college in 93, but the Lord called me to preach in 94. You say, what happened? Well, from the time I got saved to the time the Lord put me in the ministry was 30 years. 30 years from the time the, the, I got the called to preach to the time I got uh, the first church, which is this one, is 20 years. <laughs> That's a long time. You say, why? The <laughs> Lord had to do some work on me. <laughs> Just because God calls a man to preach doesn't mean he's, means he's, number one, called the pastor, and number two, ready to pastor. Um, now, look, I'd been saved a long time, and I'll tell you this, church, I grew up serving the Lord. I kind of was a Timothy in my raising. I had a good mama, and I had a good grandma who loved the Lord. Uh, my family grew up serving the Lord. My dad, of course, was song leader. stood behind this pulpit for, I don't know, probably from 1978 to 1985. Um, and, of course, uh, when we went to a different church, he was song leader there. My mother was a school teacher here. 
uh, when they had the Christian school here, and she's always a blessing and good godly mother, the best they knew how. But I, like I said, I went to a Christian college thinking I was going to be one bullet Barney down there in the sandy beaches, and and uh, and then the Lord says, "Hey, boy, I got something else for you. I want you to be a preacher." And I'm like, oh. "I didn't balk at it." I says, "Okay, Lord, I'll be a preacher." I said, "But here's a the problem. There ain't no preachers in my family." And at that point in my life, I'm serious as a heart attack when I say this. I said, "Every stinking preacher I know is boring." Why would I want to be a preacher when every preacher I hear puts me to sleep? That's a miracle right there. God called me to be a preacher, and I I grew up listening to preaching that would put you to sleep. (laughs) And uh, I kind of says, Lord, why would I want to be like these clowns? And it's like the Lord says, well, I'm going to have to show you what a real preacher is down the road here, so you just stick with me and I'll show you. And at any rate, time went by, and the Lord took me back to uh, Ogemaw County, got out of college, and eventually got over to Lupton. I started reading Dr. Ruckman's material. I started reading Clarence Larkin's material. I started reading Brother Schofield's notes in the Schofield Reference Bible. And from 1996 to 2014, the Lord put me in front of some real preachers. He put some real preachers in front of my path like Jim Lentz. He put some real preachers in front of my pad like David Peacock. And I'm telling you what, when they preach, it's like my guts wanted to turn inside out. And it's like when that began to happen, the Lord's like, no, that's real preaching. That's real preaching. That's what it is. I'm like, well, I can't preach like that. He's like, well, it don't matter how they preach. That's real preaching. And over the process of time of going back to school three different times, the Lord finally gave me my first church after 30 years of being saved. 30 years. Uh, so I tell you that, not because you think I'm absolutely stupid, but I guess I guess I am. I just needed a lot of work. And ought to be an encouragement to you if the Lord calls you to minister or to preach or to pastor. It's going to take a while. It's going to, it took almost 20 years of sitting under Bible-believing preaching for the Lord to get all the kinks out of my head. I was 39 years old before the Lord decided to give me my first church. And let me tell you what, I wasn't budging. I had no desire to be a pastor. I didn't. I had no desire at all. only thing I wanted to do is pick that guitar and travel and preach and let the family sing, and I'd preach. Well, guess what? They wanted to hear my our singing, but they didn't want to hear my preaching. Why? I wasn't ready yet. You said they didn't want to hear the truth. No, they just didn't want to hear a brand jackass is what they didn't want to hear. They wanted to hear singing. Why? Well, I guess they said we could do a little bit of that, and the Lord kind of blessed it. But they... <laughs> But the Lord is still enabling me. That's what I'm getting at here. I'm just not telling you a funny story. <coughs> but after 30 years, the Lord began to enable me. And I remember, uh, man, I was so rough around the edges. You ask a couple of uh, our, our youth leaders here, man, I was so rough around the edges. It was ridiculous. But when I came over here, the Lord began to enable me. And it's a process. And that's what Paul said, the Lord enabled him. That means the Lord built him up. The Lord helped him do something. Why? Because I can't pastor a church without the Lord's help. I can't serve the Lord without the Lord clicking the button. And I remember getting over here about the second or third time I got preached behind this pulpit. And it's almost like the Lord had plugged me right in. Like plugged me right into 220. All this stuff started coming to mind. All this stuff started being recollected. And my wife actually gave me a compliment. She's like, well, I don't know who you are. That's something I've never heard before. What is it? 
Is it just your great oratorical? No, the Lord is turning me on is what he's doing. You see, all those years before, I didn't need any of that stuff. They had a pastor. They had a preacher. They had a teacher. They didn't need me to do that. But finally, the Lord enabled me when he brought me over here. And all that study and all that time and all that prayer and all that Bible reading and all that time sitting on my tail in school, the Lord's like, okay, I'm going to take I'm going to use it and begin to enable me. But it took Timothy 10 years of following Paul around. And it may take some of you men less if the Lord ever calls you into the ministry. Let me give you this part. A calling usually precedes an enabling. A calling usually precedes an enabling. Sometimes when God calls you, He may call you all the way back here in time. Like He called me back in 1994. I know for a matter of fact, I didn't understand it, but He called me to preach in 1994. I had no idea I'd ever be a pastor, but I just surrendered. Lord, do you want me to preach? I get it. I'll preach. I don't know how to preach. I don't know what a real preacher is, but I'll preach, and I surrendered to it. And that's the Lord. He saved me in 83. He called me to preach in 94, but he didn't enable me till 2014, and that's the process. And usually in the Bible, if you study and read the Bible, it takes anywhere from 5 to 15 years for the Lord to enable somebody. Now look, that ought to encourage you. Don't let it discourage you. Because if you're not that 15-year mark, it's okay. I'm telling you, this thing takes a lifetime. You ever stop and think how long it took Moses to get ready for the ministry? I know he had some bumps in the road. It was 80 years before he got after it. All right. It took Joshua over 80 years. Uh, but you and I, we ain't going to live that long. <laughs> So usually a calling precedes an enabling from anywhere from 5 to 15 years of a man being faithful to God. And during all this time that Timothy was uh, following Paul around, you know what he's doing? He's being faithful. Timothy's he's being faithful. He's serving Paul. He's serving the Lord. He's given. Uh, but he was never put into the ministry. He was never enabled for about 10 years. Now you notice here in 1 Timothy 1.12 it says, "...putting me into the ministry." Now, putting someone into the ministry means more than being called to witness. I want you to notice that. It means more than being called to teach the Bible. Now, a fellow can have a jail ministry, and he can have a street ministry and all that, uh, but that doesn't mean the Lord's put him into full-time ministry. There's something more to that. 1 Timothy 1.12 says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So there's the difference. The ministry is a place where you let go of everything and trust God completely for everything. You let go of everything and you trust God completely for everything. And the, the way that the Lord dealt with me on it is probably different than he dealt with some people. I've been working at an ice cream year for about 18 years. And uh, so I come to the crossroads where the Lord calls me to be a pastor. And I answer the call. And I had no intention of ever quitting that ice cream job, ever. Why? Paid too good. I could. Not, I had like two months of vacation. I could never use it. You can never walk away from your job for two months. It just ain't going to work. The place will fall apart before you get back. But I had more vacation. By the time I took a day of vacation, I had accrued another day. And it was, just, uh, it was just a great job. Great money, great income, great benefits, so forth. Great leverage, great ability. So when I finally did that, well, I accepted the call to be a pastor. As soon as I did that, the next week, the job gave me a two-week notice that they were done with me. And you say, what is that? 
well, that was the Lord telling me he didn't want to use that ice cream company to get this church off the ground. <laughs> so what did you do? Well, I had to let go of everything and trust God completely. <laughs> that was eight years ago. We're still here by God's grace. <clears throat> you say, how's the ride been? Well, seat belts on. I'll just say that. And the tray's in the upright position. <laughs> It's been some smooth sailing, been some rocky roads, but the Lord's always provided. He's always supplied the need. And, uh, and that's a place where a you, where you, uh, man lets go of everything completely, and you trust God for everything. And, uh, and you let God do whatever He wants. And that's a place where most people don't want to get to. I tell you what, I didn't want to get to that place. I wanted to be a pastor of a church and have a six-figure income. I thought that was a pretty good idea. Yeah, I got to thinking with the income that was uh, from the ice cream company, I got to thinking, well, I just wonder how many missionaries we could support. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking this. We could look at all the renovations we could do with my income. You say, how selfish. I don't know how you think, but that's how I thought. Just think what we could do here. And the Lord's like, no. (laughs) And he's like, no, you're going to have to learn to trust me. You're going to have to learn that when the bottom drops out and you've got nothing, that I'll still pick you up and do something with you. And see, I think if the Lord wouldn't have taken that job from me, and it wasn't because I wasn't doing a good job. I was doing a fine job. They just, just the divine will of God to be done with that place because I never would have quit. And the Lord just had to teach me to trust him. And a man that gets called in the midst, we're going to have to do that. Now, look, I've had some... uh, some guys come around here before, and they thought they were going to be in the ministry. And they would come for a bit over the last eight years. I got just a little bit of experience in that thing. And one fellow came here, and he was insistent that he wanted to be a Timothy, but he could never get faithful to the church house. <laughs> and since he let his wife rule the roost, he ended up flying the coop. Amen. <laughs> well, that ain't going to work. Another fellow wanted a ministry so bad he could taste it. He's a good fellow, too, loves the Lord. Man, he wanted a church so bad, he wanted a ministry so bad he could taste it. And since he was called to preach, he'd uh, run down the road and fill the pulpit for another church every once in a while. But then his wife would stay home half the time. You say, well, I don't know. I don't know why people stay home. Get in your business. You come, I just figure you can't be here. And uh, she wouldn't come. She'd stay home and, you know, watch the boob tube or something. Uh, And then he wouldn't always come. But he's called to preach, and we'd try to help him get off the ground and help him get established and let him serve and let him serve the Lord. And, and uh, they'd fool around here and go preach over here and go preach over there and get a love offering here and then go over here and get a love offering here. And then after about a year, they got themselves a church. And then they left the church and went and bad-mouthed the church wherever they went. And then they go uh, and they go look for people uh, in this church that might have a problem with the preacher or his wife. And they go play Rudolph the Brown-Nosed Reindeer, you know, and shine all the shoes of the church members that's out of fellowship with the Lord and the preacher. That's how that thing works. I got the calls. Hey, preacher, so-and-so calls us wanting to know if we want to go to their church. I'm like, well, what would you tell them? Are you going to go or what? No, we're not going to go. Okay, well, help yourself. <laughs> I don't know. Take some popcorn or something, you know. But listen, what I'm saying is just having a church doesn't put you into the ministry. Look, I'm not airing my beef. So, hey, whatever they do, I, I'll get rewards in heaven for it. I don't worry about that stuff. 
Just having a church don't put you in the ministry. Most men, if you want to know the truth, most men put themselves into the ministry. And uh, if you want to do the thing biblically, you wait and you serve the Lord with every breath you got until God shoves you in there. And he puts you into a position where you, you kind of like have to, but not because you took it. Uh, you make the Lord put you into the ministry. Now, what's the ministry? I'll show you. Look at Acts chapter 6. I don't want you to get the cockeyed view of the ministry. I don't want you to get the idea that uh, the ministry is terrible, but listen, one word that describes the ministry is misery. And the more you serve the Lord, the more the Lord allows you to minister to others, you'll understand that ministry equals misery. And preaching always produces pain. Isn't that interesting? You hear something, you hear preaching, and the Lord really does a work on you, and man, that's a wonderful thing, and you're excited all of a sudden, and then you go have a terrible week. Preaching produces pain. Ministering to other people produces misery. And that's the Christian life. That thing's paradoxical. You would think, well, if we had a great day in church, we should have a great week. If you have a great day in church, many times the Lord will allow that preaching to prove itself through pain. That's how the thing works. And uh, Acts chapter 6. A lot of people, I hate to say it, have come the wrong way as far as ministers go. And I'll say this, and I won't repent about it either. Uh, I'll believe one of the reasons we don't have any revivals today is because of the ministers in the church. I'll say it again. I believe one of the reasons we don't have revivals in Iosco County is because of the ministers in the church behind the pulpit. You say, well, you're sitting behind me. I know what I'm talking about. And uh, the reason this country doesn't see revivals is because of the ministers in the churches. Uh, ministers and preachers are too busy drinking coffee. They're too busy eating cake and doing everything they should be doing except what God told them to be doing. Now look at this thing, Acts chapter 6, verse 4. I want you to see the ministry in its naked form. All right, the Bible says in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer, number one, and to the ministry of the word, number two. That's my job. That's a minister's job, prayer, studying, reading, preaching. Everything else is second place. Well, yeah, but you work, preacher. I know, and all my work's got to be a hobby compared to the ministry. You see that? Everything I do at the very best has to be a hobby. That's why I can't get too serious about some of my work. That's why I've had to, uh, and my family knows this, and I've tried to learn over the years, uh, I can't take on certain jobs anymore. It's too much. I've tried. I'm going to be a superhero and I'm going to do this thing and this great accomplishment and I can why it jeopardizes the ministry I got to cut it loose you say you still learn you better believe I'm still learning my job as a minister is to preach pray read study that's it that's my job in its naked form and around here in this county preachers and pastors or whatever the fire they call themselves they got the thing backwards and people and on top of that you go to a church where they're not used to that, and you give them that, they don't want it. I've said this before. I'm tired of hearing people don't want the truth. But if you showed up in pulpits in 99% of churches in this county and gave them the truth, they'd flip out. They would would literally wig out. (laughs) They'd lose their marbles. They're not ready for it. Why? Because preachers haven't been giving them the truth. That's why they don't want the truth. You see what I mean? And a lot of people don't really like a preacher that will study. Why? It brings conviction on you. 
You get a preacher that's well studied and starts rattling off that book, doesn't it put you under conviction a little bit? You get a preacher up there and he starts quoting passages of Scripture and looking you square in the eyes and you're thinking, how in the world does that sucker even know that book that well? Doesn't that put you under conviction? You get a preacher up there and he begins to pray, and I'm not telling you this because I'm the typification of that guy, but you get a preacher there and he begins to pray and you literally feel the power of God in his prayer and the presence of God. Man, doesn't that put you under some riling conviction? (laughs) This county don't want that stuff. That's why we say this, if Jesus Christ came back right now, they'd try to crucify him all over again. Uh, but they, a lot of people really don't want a preacher that's well-read and well-studied in, in the Bible. However, you get over in Acts chapter 18, let me show you this thing, Acts chapter 18, you'll find that every once in a while Paul had to do some work, didn't he? But he was still in the ministry. Uh, Paul's main objective was preaching and prayer. Preaching and prayer. Um, look at Acts chapter 18, verse 3. And when Paul was short on cash, you know what he'd do? He'd go make some tents. Good trade to have. Eighteen <laughs> three. the Bible says, And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. So every once in a while, when Paul's bank account got low, uh, and uh, to do too low to do the work of God, you know what he'd do? He'd go down there with Priscilla and Aquila and make some tents and pay some bills and get some money for his next missionary journey. And Paul worked a little bit on the side, but you know what? He made it clear. He made it clear that his main purpose was to make tents. And that's Paul's main purpose. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll close here. I know we're not getting very far, but I want to take my time with this thing through here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's main purpose is to preach and pray. And every once in a while he had to study. Uh, every once in a while, I'm sorry, every once in a while he had to make some tents. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. 14. All right, Paul lays it out here. He said, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 17. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge. Why? That I abuse not my power in the gospel. You see that thing right there in verse 18? You I know the biggest reasons why Paul worked as hard as he did outside the ministry to make the gospel of Jesus Christ without charge. He didn't want to be a burden to the people. He's teaching and he's preaching the responsibility of a local assembly to take care of the preacher. But on the other hand, he did not want to be a burden. Look at 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I may gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. So Paul, every once in a while, he had to do a little work on the side, and there's nothing wrong with that. But he's still in the ministry. And, uh, and uh, you'll hear some of these clowns out here, they'll say, they'll say it to me. Um, they'll visit and they'll say, uh, are you a full-time preacher yet? <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that anymore. I'm like, no, I'm just part-time, you know. <laughs> it's, 
Are you a full, you know, what they, you know what they mean? They're saying this, are you working another job? Folks ask me that all the time. You mean you work too? Yeah, I work. I work so I can pay some bills and not be a burden to this church. And some preachers out there, all they are out there to get is to get what they can from the church. But look, if I need something or I want something, you say, what do you do? I go to work. And if I can't work and I can't pay my bills, then I don't get it. And that's the way it ought to be. If you can't get the work, if you can't pay the bill, then you don't get what you want. That's how that thing goes. So you better learn a trade, right? You better pick up something that you can do. Let's stop right there here, and we'll pick it back up a little bit later.